0: night mark um as i was reading and thinking about it you know there's there's a particular scene uh as bizarre as that sounds from the office that popped into my head let's take a look wait wait wait, wait. no 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 it means bear right no. there. it said right so take a right no 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 look it it means go up to the right, bare right, over the bridge, and hook up with 307. So go right maybe it's right a shortcut to it. says go to the right. It can't mean that. There's, There's a leg there. The machine knows where it is going. It's the light. machine it knows! Stop yelling at me! Stop <laughs> yelling! There's no here! Remain calm. I have trained for this. Okay. <laughs> Remain calm. The machine knows where it's going. Hey, uh, lest we're tempted to believe that, that this is the sort of thing that can only happen to Michael Scott and Dwight Shute, I came across this photo the other day. Um, if you can't tell, it's actually a car submerged underwater. Turns out, uh, a car full of people in Canada earlier this summer thought they were taking a detour. They were following their GPS, thought they were rerouted to a different road. It was at night. It was foggy. Apparently, though, it launched them off of a boat ramp into the water. And uh, you can imagine their surprise as water starts coming in the windows at night. Um, they actually had to swim out of the windows. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. They got out fine. Um, everyone was okay. But, you know, as comical as, as both the fictional office clip and as bizarrely true as, as the news clip is, uh, the more that I've been thinking about them, the more I think that they illustrate a really important point, And that's this. What we follow... Maybe more importantly, who we follow really matters. What and who we follow really matters. It has a real effect on our lives. You see, maybe you've heard the common phrase, don't be a follower. I know I grew up hearing that. Nobody wants to be a follower, right? There's no virtue in following. That's what our culture says anyway. So be unique. You do you. But why? Why? You see, I'm not so sure that the problem is actually with being a follower. The problem is not that we're followers, because let's be honest, we're all, everyone in here is a follower to some degree. No, the problem is that we, like Michael and, and Dwight and those people in Canada, is that we often follow the wrong things. You see, we give our lives, we devote our time and our effort to things that take us down the wrong road. And before we know it, water comes crashing in through the window, and we're in over our heads. You see, we're just following the machine because the machine knows where it's going, right? Tonight, we're continuing um, our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark. And if you were here last week at Veritas, you might remember that Patrick asked us a really important question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And we learn from those early verses in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is king. Jesus is the king the Jews of Mark's day had been longing for, but not expecting. You see, they were expecting a political king. Jesus is the king that rivals all other kings. He's not a king willing to share his throne. Jesus is the king over the entire world, over all creation. And Mark tells us that Jesus is the king over our own hearts. You see, Jesus is the king that challenges us. Jesus is the king that changes us. But how? Here's the question that I want to wrestle with tonight in our time together. If Jesus is king, if Jesus is who he really says he is, then what does that mean for our lives? If Jesus is king, how does that affect me? How does he challenge me? How does he change me? We'll pick up Mark's gospel in chapter 1, verse 16. But but before we do, let let me pray for our time. Jesus, we pray right now that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see who you really are. And beyond that, Lord, we pray that not only would we see you, but we would know what you mean for our lives it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's pick up. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon. Just, just a sidebar here. Simon is the disciple that Jesus eventually calls Peter. So you might hear me say Peter, Simon, Peter, same guy. Just so you know. Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, "Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men." And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were in the boat and in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and followed him. You see, this passage, it marks the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And I say that because I want us to notice something particularly about this passage. Notice notice it's interesting how Jesus starts his ministry. He he doesn't start by doing miracles. We don't see Jesus start his public ministry by going around healing people. We don't even see Jesus start his ministry by forgiving people's sins, though all of that stuff will certainly come. Now, the first thing that we see in Jesus' public ministry is that he is calling everyday people to follow him, to be his disciples. And these particular guys, these four guys, Peter, Andrew, James, John, they weren't anything special. See, they were just ordinary, blue-collar fishermen, average Joes. Not people that had a lot to give to Jesus, but people that needed Jesus a lot. People like you and I. You see, Mark tells us that Jesus is calling. The king is calling. And he's calling to every single one of us, regardless of our race, regardless of our economic, our political, our spiritual status. Jesus is calling us. But how does that call change our lives? Three ways. Three ways that I want to look at tonight that Jesus' call changes our lives. First, Jesus' call changes our purpose. Let me ask you a question. Why are you at zoo? Have you ever stopped to actually think about, why are you at zoo? What's your purpose here? See, we all want to live with a sense of purpose. So what's yours? You see, my guess is that if I scan this room right now, I would get a lot of different answers. Some of you in here would probably say that, that my purpose in college is to have fun these four or five or however many years we're here are all about living it up, enjoying the freedom and flexibility that we have from our family, from our parents, maybe from past relationships. And so we better have as much fun as we can right now because eventually we have to settle down and get serious in the boring old real world. Others of us in here Probably see our purpose in college as an opportunity to do everything that we can to build our resume. You see, college is about me and my personal advancement. And so to that end, we do anything we can, whatever it takes to get to the top, to get the best grades, to get the best internships, to be involved in the best campus organizations. Our purpose in college is to make myself, to make ourselves more marketable for the future. Still others of us in here believe that, you no, know, my my purpose in college is, is to find a place where I belong. You see, we, we all want to belong somewhere. And so for most of us, the easiest place to feel like we belong is amongst relationships that we have. And so our purpose in college, it, it becomes... Finding the right group of friends, the right boyfriend, the right girlfriend, the right group of people that will give me popularity, significance, meaning, and when we find them, we invest our time, all of our energy following them. You see, this, in some sense, is the college machine, right? This is what college is all about, having fun, building your resume, finding the perfect friends, following those things just makes sense. The machine knows where it's going, right? Or does it? See, what what if the machine is wrong? What if there's actually something more? What if God actually has a bigger purpose for your life than living it up? and personal advancement finding the perfect friends what if there's something more see I wonder what it would have been like to be those guys Peter, Andrew, James and John that day that they encountered Jesus see like I said earlier as far as we know they they were average Joe fishermen and, and they probably woke up that day thinking like it would be any other ordinary day they would wake up and they would go to work after all why wouldn't it be You see, but as we read earlier, we know that from the rest of the story that that day that they met Jesus was far from ordinary. It was far from ordinary because the day that they met Jesus was the day that Jesus began to challenge and change everything about them. Look back at Mark 1, 17. Jesus says to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. You see... As weird as this might, might seem to us, there's something about Jesus. There's something compelling about the idea of having a relationship with Jesus that caused these guys to drop it all and follow him. What was it? What was it? In 1961, uh, JFK was touring the, um, the, the NASA space station in Cape Canaveral, Florida for the first time. And he's walking around um, the, the, the facility, and he's talking with people. And he runs into a guy, a guy sweeping the floor. And he starts talking to him. He says, hey, hey, buddy, you know, what do you do here for NASA? And that, that guy kind of turns, and he looks at JFK. And he says, I'm helping put a man on the moon. You see, that janitor got it. That janitor wasn't just a janitor mopping the floors. See, he had a bigger sense of purpose for his life. He was helping put somebody on the moon. These disciples, they were just a bunch of fishermen until the day they met Jesus. From that day forward, though, Jesus gives them a bigger purpose. Jesus was calling them to invest their life in something bigger than their own life. And that same is true for us. So, What if if rather than following the college machine of pleasure and resume building and friendships, you saw college as a time these however many years in your life to grow in your love for Jesus and your desire to live for his kingdom? What if you saw your free time not as a time to indulge your own desires, your own self, but as a time to serve others? What if you saw your major, your classwork, your homework as a way of of being equipped to faithfully live out your faith in Jesus in a profession, in a career for the glory of God? What if you saw your fraternity or your sorority as a place to invest, not because of what you can get out of it, but as an opportunity to be a good example of what it means to love and follow Jesus. You see, if we take an honest look at our life, who or what is it that we're following? The machine? Jesus is inviting everybody in this room to follow him. Invest your life in him. Have a relationship with him. And he says when we do that, he changes our purpose in life. So Jesus' call changes our purpose in life, but Jesus' call is a process in our lives. You see, relationships always involve process, right? I mean, we all know that. It takes time. It takes hard work to develop relationships with people. Why then, if that's true, does it seem like these disciples get it so quickly? I mean, look, look again at their responses. Peter and Andrew, Mark 1.18. And immediately they leave their nets and follow him. James and John, Mark one twenty. And immediately Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. You see, is Mark trying to tell us that our response to Jesus should be just like that? Just a snap of a finger, a light switch. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that that's actually what Mark is trying to say. Because what's missing from this passage is something that we actually find in another part of the Bible. We don't have time to look at it tonight. But in the Gospel of John, John tells us that this actually wasn't the first time that these guys had been around Jesus. See, they had had several opportunities before to spend time with him, both at a distance, listening to him, hearing him, watching him, but also up close, more personally, asking questions, getting answers. These guys got to know Jesus over time, And as they did, they saw his kingship, they saw his power, they saw his his beauty, they saw his authority, and they said, we're all in. We're all in. You see, what's important to know about this passage is that Jesus' call to his disciples didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened in the context of something bigger. And the same is true for us. You see, maybe you're here tonight, and you've been getting to know Jesus for a while. You've seen his kingship. You've seen his power. You've seen his authority. You've seen the way that Jesus gives you purpose in life. And for you, you're all in. That's great. That's great. But maybe you're here tonight and you're still not sure. You're still not sure what you think about Jesus. You're still not sure, is Jesus really worth following? Let me just say, Veritas is a great place for you to be. And I say that because everybody in this room, myself included, we're all in process. And the good news is that Jesus is okay with that. You see, Jesus isn't naive. He knows we're in process. He knows that there are things in our lives that we're ashamed of. He knows that there are things in our lives that we're hiding from other people. He knows that there are things that we're doing right now that aren't pleasing to (laughs) Him. But the good news is that Jesus is gracious. He's patient. He's committed to us despite our flaws. And that's why he's inviting us to see what he's all about. So maybe for you, maybe for you, seeing what Jesus is all about means joining a Veritas small group. It means taking the plunge, jumping in, meeting new people. Or maybe if you've been in a small group in the past but you haven't gone in a while, it means coming back. Maybe for you, seeing what Jesus is all about means blocking off your Tuesday nights so you can come to Veritas Sunday morning so you can go to church. Maybe seeing what Jesus is all about means for the first time in your life, taking the time to seriously read God's word, the Bible, the Bible. Maybe seeing who Jesus really is means being willing to push aside some past experiences, some preconceived notions to ask honest questions, but not just to ask questions, to be willing to listen to hard answers. You see, I don't, I don't know what it looks like for you, but I do know this, that a relationship with Jesus is a process. Choosing to follow Jesus is a process for all of us. But so is the act of actually following him. Look again at Mark 1.17. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Some of our Bible translations, if you're looking at it at your seat, it might say, I will send you out to be fishers of people. And that's perfectly fine. But I I think the ESV, the translation that we have up here, it actually reflects more of the sense of the original Greek. That word become, it implies process. Sure, living for God faithfully is the goal, but getting there takes time. It's not overnight. It's not instantaneous. You see, and if anybody knows this, it's the disciples. These these very guys that we're reading about right now. We might be tempted to think that their seemingly quick response to Jesus meant that they had it all figured out. But they clearly don't. Because following their stories throughout the Gospels, we see time and time again, mistake after mistake. On one point, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's talking about what it means to follow him. And he says, you know, following me is going to take sacrifice. You're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to lower yourself. Well, James and John apparently missed that one because later in the Gospels, we see James and John begging Jesus for honor and glory. So Jesus says, humble yourselves, and they say, give us glory. On another occasion, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's talking about his death. He's going to die, his impending death. And he's also talking about his resurrection. Three days later, Jesus is going to rise from the grave. And Peter, he, he has the nerve to pull Jesus aside, and he starts rebuking Jesus as if Jesus didn't know what he was talking about in his own life. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Get behind me, Satan. Not one of Peter's finer moments. See, what's my point? My point is this these guys knew who Jesus was, they had spent significant amounts of time with Jesus, and yet they still made mistakes. Following Jesus doesn't mean always getting it right, a relationship with him is a process for all of us. So the reason I say that is if if you find yourself here tonight and maybe you're discouraged because you feel like your relationship with Jesus is, is one step forward, two back, two steps forward, one back, whatever it is, I want you to fight to be encouraged. I want you to fight to be encouraged, not because you're taking steps back, but because you're in good company with some of Jesus' closest friends. And so I want you to hear me say that it's okay For us to be in process. But the key is that we keep seeking Jesus. We keep asking that question, who is he? What does he mean for my life? Keep getting to know him. Keep spending time finding out who he really is. Veritas, small groups, the crossing. These are all great places for you guys to go while you're in college to find out who Jesus is and what he means for your life. See, Jesus openly invites us to ask those questions and to seek those answers. Come, follow me, he says. Okay, but here's the deal. This isn't always easy, right? In fact, third point, Jesus's call is costly. Jesus's call is costly. Every relationship, I don't care who you are, involves cost. Mark, 1, 18 and 20. Again. Yes, again. And immediately, Simon and Andrew left their nets and followed him. Verse 20. And immediately, Jesus calls James and John, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Every relationship involves cost. When my wife and I started dating uh, seven-ish years ago, I think now, something like that, maybe seven and a half, uh, I, I thought it was a great idea to ask her on a date two months before she moved to Texas. Um, I, we'd known each other for literally three, four years, worked together for two years. And I waited until two months before she moved, like 10 hours away, to ask her on a date. Um, and, and I remember doing that um, and, and not having a clue where it was going, right? I was interested, thought I'd ask her out. We went out on a date, went out on more dates. And I realized, hey, something's getting serious here. Texas is kind of looming, though. What am I going to do about that? So as I kind of work myself up to the inevitable question, no, not will you marry me, but hey, Noel, will you stay in Columbia? And by implication, will you not go home? Will you leave your friends that are in Texas? Will you forego your grad program that you're about to start? Basically, will you give up a lot of stuff in your life to be in a relationship with me? Thankfully, I was talking to her this morning and she said, yes, it was all worth it. So um, I had that going for me. Every relationship involves a cost, right? Every relationship involves a cost. And some of those costs are no doubt greater than others. You see, our relationship, I want I, want to hear, I want you to hear this. Our relationship with Jesus is no different. Following Jesus, it cost Peter and Andrew their career. Leave your nets. They were fishermen. It cost James and John their family. I mean, they literally leave their dad in a boat. I mean, see, what? Where are you going? See, Mark's point is not that these things are bad, right? Family, career, good And to be sure, these guys fished again. These guys saw their families again. Now, the point is not to say those things are bad and that Jesus is calling us away from those things. No, the point is that a relationship with Jesus reorders our commitments. You see, Jesus doesn't want just a little bit of our lives. He doesn't want just a little bit of our time. He doesn't want just a little bit of our work. Jesus says, I want it all. I want it all. Think about for a second how countercultural that is. You see, the college machine says, seize the day, take every opportunity you can get, grab whatever makes you feel good. But Jesus' message, He comes along, His call, it's completely different. Jesus says, to get the life we've always wanted, the life that you and I, that we were created for, well, we've got to give up everything. And follow him whoever loses his life for my sake will find it jesus says see following jesus is costly because it means valuing it means committing ourselves to him before our experiences before our friendships before our resumes and so for some of you following jesus It's going to cost your friends, your residence hall roommates, your fraternity brothers, your sorority sisters. They're not going to understand the choices that you're making because you follow Jesus. For others of you in here, following Jesus might cost you a relationship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Fighting to stay sexually pure while everyone around you indulges in their sexuality is going to be eternal. Following Jesus will cost some of you a relationship with a parent or a family member who disagrees with what you believe. For some of you, it's going to cost your pride. It's going to cost your image, maybe even amongst your classmates, your professors, as they publicly mock you. For some of you, following Jesus is going to cost you your expectations of what you thought your life would always be like. That's hard. Following Jesus is costly. And so as the music team comes back up, let me just say this. I'll be honest. I don't know what it's going to cost you specifically to follow Jesus. I don't know. I don't know what it will cost you specifically to follow Jesus. But I do know this. Whatever it costs you to be with Jesus, whatever it costs you to be with Jesus is nothing. Is nothing in comparison with what it costs Jesus to be with you. You see, Jesus calls his disciples to leave their father and mother to follow him. Jesus had already left his own father and mother. And later in the gospels, Jesus is ripped from the cross, from his father's presence as he lies there dying. Jesus calls his followers to be all in, to be totally committed. And the reason Jesus can ask total commitment from us is because Jesus is totally committed to us. Jesus can ask us to give our lives to him because Jesus has already given his life for us. You see, Jesus' call in our life, following Jesus' call in our life, is not about following a bunch of rules It's not about following good advice. It's about following a gracious king. It's about following a king who calls us into a relationship with him. A king who is willing to do whatever it takes to rescue us from the grip of sin and to reconcile all things to himself. You see, Mark tells us the king is calling. And at at some point, Every one of us in this room, we've got to answer the question. We have to answer his question. Will you drop your nets and follow me? You see, Jesus is asking that question of every single one of us. Will you drop your nets? Will you drop your image? Will you drop your pride? Will you drop your friends, your experiences, your autonomy, your money? Will you drop your life for me? Will you drop it all and follow me? That's what Jesus says. Because if you do, he says, I will give you purpose. I will give you meaning. I'm calling you into the unknown, I know. But I want you to know that I will walk through it all with you, step by step, every step of the way. You see, in losing your life, you will find a far better life in me. But make no mistake. It will certainly be costly, Jesus says. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to change a lot about who you are. But I can guarantee you this. Both in this life, but for all eternity, it will all be worth it. Come, follow me.